sometimes they talked a little bit different. They, you know, kind of like a Yoda isms, you know, I will say this backwards. If I can, I will, you know, they, they, they will. Um, and <laughs> they, it's so going as this show opener. This is episode 48 of the Movie Bite podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, June 19th, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and folks, I'm joined today by a man of steel. Not Maybe not the man of steel, but a man of steel, my co-host, Joe Darnell. Hey, DJ. Hey, Good how are you? Good evening. How are you doing? Well, I, in, in truth, I'm more like the mild-mannered reporter than anything else, but... Where's, okay, I'll, where's I'll your glasses? I've never seen you wear glasses before, man. One of these days, man, I might go all hipster on you. <laughs> get get some glasses just because I can. Well, Joe, I don't, I don't know if you can tell. I'm I'm not uh, <clears throat> not feeling like myself tonight. Too uh, much kryptonite in your house? Yeah, there's too much kryptonite. Apparently, it's making me uh, sick with a head cold. And mm. uh, so I actually couldn't talk at all hardly on Sunday or Monday. You get more outdoors. Get more so, sunlight. So you hear this sound? That's me opening up a cough drop <clears throat> to try to make it through this podcast. Ooh, ouch. Yes. Yeah. So my, you know, I, I well, if you want to go take a nap or something, take it easy. I'll take yeah, over the show. I, I might need to lie down. You might have to take over. I don't know how okay. it's going to go. Oh yeah. I had to cancel my appearance on, um, we've been trying to get it going again. We've been like gone off the air for four weeks now on the other, what's that other podcast I do? Which one is this? Which one are you? Uh, <clears throat> um, this one's the Movie Bite Podcast. What's the other one? Yes. Um, <laughs> in the queue. Um, Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so we've been trying to get that going again, and I I, uh, t- I messaged Alex and said, man, there is just no way. <laughs> I can't talk. So anyway, here I am. I am I can talk today, and uh, I'm feeling okay. I'm just my, my, my voice just sounds a little hoarse. So enough about me. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really good. I know that a few other people around here have a cold too, so you must be giving it to them. Yeah, right straight through the internet since I never come down there to, you know, visit hardly. Mm-hmm. What did you want to talk about tonight? Well, um, I have we, something. We have some movies, right? We do, but I have something that you were asking me about. Like, you you opened up the show outline that I started about half an hour ago, and you're like, what is this segment you put in here? This huge freaking segment, and it, it looks longer than it's going to be. It uh, this does. Is, this is something new that I thought we would try to do. Because we're a movie podcast, <clears throat> I thought I would do some, a segment that I am uh, – uh, titling trailer bite. I don't know if that's going to stick or not, <laughs> but just kind of a, uh, I don't know, man, I don't like change. <laughs> the name of the podcast isn't changing, but you know, movie bite, the movie bite podcast. And we have a trailer bite section in the movie bite podcast. And all uh-huh. this, all this is, is, uh, just a rundown of several of the good trailers that, uh, that I found throughout the week or whatever and posted on the movie bite website. So I thought we would just run a few of them off. And then if there's any, we want to talk about real quickly, we can do that. So the trailers posted within the last week or so that I thought were interesting and that I posted at Movie Byte are White House Down extended trailer, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, hmm, yes. teaser trailer, In a World trailer, 300 In Rise of an Empire, uh, The Wolverine International trailer, Elysium trailer 2, Longer and More Info, World War Z clip, The Wolf of Wall Street trailer, The Mortal Instrument City of Bones trailer 3, Almost Human, a new J.J. Abrams TV show trailer, the Lego movie trailer and another World War Z clip that I actually really liked. So, hmm. Do any of those, do you want to say anything about any yeah. of those? I, a few of them. One, The Hobbit, cool. Its trailer is more promising than the first film in The Hobbit. <laughs> yes. That was, my, that was my take on it. That's my takeaway. I don't know if uh, Jackson is trying to respond to 
a little bit of the feedback from the public, but it seems like this movie is marketing more to the public rather than what the first film did. The first film's marketing felt like they were just trying to uh, remake the marketing for Lord of the Rings. And I think the theater-going public said, look, Jackson, this is not Lord of the Rings, so give us The Hobbit. And so that's what this trailer communicated to me, is he said, fine, you want The Hobbit? I'll give it to you. Here it is. Yeah, I don't know if it communicated The Hobbit to me or not. I, but, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the way it's going to be all night, and I'm not going to edit all this out for the, for the final show. There's just, I don't have time. That's uh, fine. Oh, there's you really Leg- don't sound that bad. There, there was Legolas. So, anyway, uh, we also got to look. like the elves. Yeah, we got to look at. Um, I think uh, that Legolas looks like he has a bit too much makeup. <laughs> well, he always does. <laughs> no, I mean, as in Orlando Bloom must be aging, so they tried harder to cover it up or something. I don't know. Yeah, we also got to look at Evangeline Lilly as uh, Toriel, Tariel, I don't know exactly how you say her name. She's not a canon character, so that'll be interesting. Uh, but, you know, despite the fact that I did not enjoy the first film as much as I wanted to, I am, you know, I can't help but look forward to it, right? I can't help but get into the trailer. I mean, it's just the way I am. Yeah. So. <laughs> was there any of these trailers you wanted to mention? Because there was a few others I thought about. I'm, I'm liking the look of White House Down. Of course, I... Uh, I also like that other White House film that we saw earlier, uh, Olympus Has Fallen. Uh, this looks like Olympus Has Fallen on steroids, uh, and maybe with a little more fun. Um, you know, it, this is the uh, only the the second remake in the same year of <laughs> Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah, no, I mean it's not going to be like Olympus Has Fallen. The plot is entirely different, and yet it it, it you know, and I, I don't know. It, it, at the same time, it's in the same kind of vein and genre. So uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, just looking at the trailer here, trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, Jamie Foxx is the president. That's going to be fun. So, anyway, you know, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, the In a World trailer, I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know if all the laughs are in the trailer or not. I should hope not, but... Uh, it's been a long time since there was a good comedy worth going to see. The thing that worries me is it says this film is in rated R. In a world. That's actually a remake of another trailer. That's the thing. Hey, make sure um, your and it's one of my favorite trailers of all time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking forward to see, but I, like I said, I'm worried about the R rating and R rating in a comedy usually means that I won't like it and I won't want to watch it. So, yeah, inappropriate for audiences. Exactly. Did <laughs> did you ever see uh, Three Hundred? Yes. Yeah, speaking of inappropriate, <laughs> you didn't. I I don't know much about it, and I've never seen it. So no, it's worth talking about. It's not so inappropriate that you know adults can't know about it and be ashamed and turn you know red or something thinking about it. But Three Hundred was really rough. Zack Snyder at his bloodiest and his nudest. You know okay. all these guys with lots of muscles and chopping up everything in sight and lots and lots of slow motion. It was very, very stylized. Right. You know, there's not much about the original historical account. We actually know for sure. And yeah, so, you know, I, I like the liberties they take with it in the original film. It was, it was so interesting for it's high on stylized filmmaking. 
that's what made it compelling. It probably wouldn't be an interesting story otherwise. Yeah. Well, I certainly got the stylized filmmaking from the the, the new trailer for the, for the for the trailer for the new film, Three Hundred Rise of an Empire. It's a a prequel or a is it a sequel or a prequel? I can't remember which one it is. And not being familiar with the franchise at all, I, I just don't know for sure. So, um, but you know, I, I definitely got that sense of stylized. I mean, there, I, I said the very first thing I said when I posted this trailer was, "This film appears to be about slow motion." <laughs> And the film felt like that too. Like how many different ways can we use slow motion? Exactly. That's what it felt like. And you know, you should see this just because it is the most worthy watchable uh, Zack Snyder film to watch besides Man of Steel. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. You should talk. Well, yeah, we should talk about that. But you should also be familiar with 300 because Zack Snyder is being taken rather seriously. Yeah. So you know yeah and i i i have to say even though i'm making fun of the stylized and the slow motion i really do usually like it stylized stuff so we'll see i'll probably watch 300 to get caught up and then i'll watch uh 300 rise of an empire when it comes out mm. i guess we need to move through these trailers a little faster the well, wolf- well 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 um can i just say the wolverine boring i'm not interested i'm kind of interested i like the wolverine i oh, i like him as a character i just don't like his movies because they're too they're too much well, about very in-your-face, overly dramatic acting of action scenes. You say his movies, he's only had one. And, yes. And, and this is supposed to be better than that, I understand. It might be better told, but it's still going to be a high on a lot of action. That kind yeah, of it, it is, action. it is. And, and that could be a problem. Elysium Trailer 2 um, – I'm looking more forward to this movie a little more after seeing this trailer. Uh, some of the some of the fears that I had for the film have been a little bit allayed, not completely put aside. I still have some worries about how they're going to do it, but um, Elysium is definitely looking good. Uh, I will definitely be looking forward to seeing it. You know, it's a sci-fi and uh, it's a little bit dystopian, which is right up my alley. So, <laughs> you know, really, <laughs> oh yeah, well, it, it can be. It, it you know. It doesn't have to be dystopian to be up my alley, but I do like some good dystopian sci-fi. I do like the idea of exoskeleton armor or mm. exoskeleton enhancements. That looks neat. And I like his modified guns because they look like old-fashioned guns that have gone through several decades of modifications. Yeah. <laughs> it's very nice. Yep. Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, don't care. Not looking. Not not interested. Not looking forward to this. Uh, yeah. I'll pass. But, you know, it is a Martin Scorsese film, so maybe it'll be better than I think. But I've only seen one Martin Scorsese film, and I really liked it. Uh, that was um, uh, Goodfellas. You know, that picture you got there of Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't look very much like him. It just hmm. doesn't look like him as I know him. His hair must be different. And it looks like he's got a bigger forehead. Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? it You're right. He looks a little bit more like James Cagney. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Ah, TJ, go home now. Get some sleep. Sorry. Mortal- I'm taking over. We're going to talk about James Cagney tonight instead of the Man of Steel. Okay, you go right ahead. The Mortal okay. Instrument, City of Bones, trailer three. Um, this still looks to me like a cross between Twilight and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you ever wanted something like that, this movie might be for you. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested <laughs> to see it. Yeah. Um, okay, we are talking about World War Z, right? Mortal Instruments, I said. Oh, okay. City of Bones. Okay. Yeah, no. You're not not interested? No, no, not at all. Really? I'm kind of interested. Mortal Instruments? uh, No. All right, well, let's talk about one that I'm really excited about. It's not about a movie. It's about a TV show. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 
Almost Human, new J.J. Abrams TV show. Ah. This looks great. No, it's not. Could always be worse. Give me diagnostic. Blood pressure's dropping. Celiac arteries blown apart. Cover us. We're leaving. Others have a better statistical chance of surviving. Well, anyway. That's intense. Yeah. Who's dying again? Was everybody dying? Uh, just one person, and as you oh. find out in the course of the trailer, it's a synthetic life form, and he has to be replaced because apparently in the future, police teams require one human and one synthetic on a team. A synthetic meaning basically a Kryptonian? Android. Android. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like Kryptonian. No. Okay. Well, the, the movie trailer I'm superly interested in is the Lego movie. Now, that looks funny. You're interested in this thing? Yes. Legos are fantastic. And I love it that they're sure. mashing up all the different Lego sets. They're bringing back all these old ones that were long forgotten. And they're making them very interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, like, this is the height of a spinoff from YouTube. Here, the culture loves Legos enough that we're getting an official Lego movie inspired by kids using stop motion animation with their uh, you know ipod touches you know this this movie is the height of that it's it's really fun it's it's a, it's the reversal of what you see from most films that it starts oh, by a major I'm movie studio it. finding the most popular right professionally published no work and then you know uh adapting it to screen this is let's take the most unprofessional videos of all time things on YouTube, find the cream of the crop, and then we'll take those highly unprofessional stories that, uh, and we'll look at what worked in that YouTube video and we'll repurpose it to a film where everybody who loved that material on YouTube is just going to love it. And that's what this does for me. <sighs> okay. I'll take mm. your word for it, man. Okay. Uh, you didn't play with Legos as a child. Oh, I totally did. Very much so. Oh. Loved my Legos. Wait. I'm just not sure that you can make a good film out of Legos. I don't know. You sure you were playing with Legos and not Mega Bloks or something else? One of those other ripoffs? I'm quite certain. Okay. My toys said Lego Toys and Blocks. Uh, All right. Were they made in China? I don't know. Never uh, paid attention to that. Uh, you got some ripoffs. No wonder. I said I don't know. <laughs> I'm All right. looking forward to Almost Human, by the way. You are looking forward to Almost Human. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. I was going to say about that before you moved on without me. Um, Fringe kind of left a, as I say, a hole in my heart. <laughs> that might be overstating my case. But, you know, I, I really miss Fringe. So uh, maybe this will fill that void. Revolution just hasn't, even though it's from J.J. Abrams and, you know, uh, Eric Kripke is co-creator. It's just not quite filling that uh, void. And it stars Bones. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, one more. World War Z movie clip uh, that I really liked. This is, uh, I, I, I called it Hammer and Nails. <coughs> uh, I just had to play if I can find the line that I really like from this side. I don't know what we're walking into, so we do what they say. Okay. They move, we move. They stop, we stop. If things were to get crazy, just focus on their boots, focus on their voices, we'll be all right. Mm -hmm. These guys are hammers. And hammers, everything looks like nails. I heard that. <laughs> I love that. That was awesome. So that, that definitely makes me more interested in the film. And that's all we got. That's, that's Trailer Bite. <laughs> okay. That was cool, man. I like what you're doing with the show. Thank you. Well, since you're leaving, I didn't even bother to consult you about it. I just figured I'll just add it in here. Yeah. You'll catch yeah, no, the tail. This is your show. Yeah, it's my, it's my show. That's right. <laughs> you're the last one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
uh, Ashton Kutcher's uh, Steve Jobs film opens now on August the 16th, according to Deadline. Open Roads Films will release Jobs, the highly anticipated film chronicling the story of Steve Jobs' ascension from college dropout to one of the most revered creative entrepreneurs of the 20th century, nationwide on August 16, 2013. Jobs details the major moments and defining characters that influenced Steve Jobs on a daily basis from 1971 through 2001. So this reminds me, did you see the I, Steve movie from Funny or Die? I haven't yet. I put it in my mm-hmm. Insta paper and I never got around to watching it, and I think it's yeah. still in there. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I have it there too. Boy, just as long as the older Steve Jobs, he looks like a an ape man. They put too much beard on him. Mm. His, face, his fake makeup is uh, really pushing it. But yeah, I, I, I want to see it too. I just, uh, I hear it's good, but then I never get around to it. It's in the queue. Is it on Netflix yet? I don't know. Let's find out. Surely it's on Funny or Die. Here you can watch it online. Well, is, wasn't it a Funny or Die exclusive now that I think about it? Does that mean it would be exclusively on Funny or Die? Yeah. Mm. Well, surely it can't beat this film, Jobs. Uh, which reminds me, I wish that we had the time to to review the internship, but whatever. Uh, it's, you mean it's, you're interested in that? I mean that my wife watched it and then after it was done, she told me that it was actually watchable. Hmm. So that's okay. saying something for it. Well, maybe we'll watch it sometime. We'll see. I'm not. If, that if you lower your expectations to the bottom and then you watch the movie, surely you'll get something from it. Right? <laughs> right. I guess. Okay, sure. Um, um, what, what you said. Well, speaking of lowering your expectations, it reminds me of what Spielberg and Lucas were talking about the other day. Yeah, well, this was a bigger deal to you than to me, I think. Why don't you go ahead and talk about it? Okay, so Lucas and Spielberg are at this film event, and they're on a panel, and they're being asked questions from the audience. And it had to do with the film industry. It wasn't for fans, per se, of just you know the audience. It was for the film industry. And so Spielberg and Lucas are asked questions about the future of what they think movie theaters are going to be. And they they are very opinionated. They really know what they think. And they think that movie theaters, as we know them, are going to die very soon. They think uh, we're seeing a problem where uh, the only movies that really get watched are extremely uh, high-budget blockbusters that, like you know, Man of Steel and Star Trek, that get a lot of people in to pay the big bucks. Yeah, Iron Man. And 3. then nobody else wants to watch the the smaller films, the films with lower budgets, with less yeah. marketing. And therefore, it means the movie theaters are going to be practically extinct. They're going to become endangered companies. And then everybody's going to go back home and get movies on their couch uh, at a reasonable price scale fairly, fairly soon after they're released in theaters, or if not before they're released in theaters. And yeah, movies will just become a classic traditional event that you'll go to for, for the fun of it as a special event, maybe a movies and theaters uh, for a season rather than just a few weeks, depending on you know, the marketability and the viability of a film because you go to pay a very pricey ticket because you're going there for the experience. It means you go there to dine and watch a movie like you would if you were going to the symphony. And so it's going to be a, a very pricey ticket and uh, that's what you'll do. You'll go and do this as a historical 
uh, experience reliving the glory days of film. You're not going to be able to do it like you are today where you just drive up the road, park, go inside, watch a movie for 10 bucks when it's brand new in a crowded theater with just cheap popcorn and soda. Uh, any old time you want. Nope. You're not going to be able to do that. It's going to be an event like going to a, ba- a baseball game for, you know, the Braves or something. Yeah. It's going to be a crowded event. It's going to be, you know, more formal. I just don't see that happening. Did you did you read the article by Laramie Legal on uh, film.com? No, I did not. I did not read the rebuttal. I okay. don't agree with this, by the way. No, yeah, I don't need you, I, No, you go ahead. I haven't sorted out why I disagree with it. I just don't think they can be so sure that that's going to happen unless they have insider knowledge that they haven't been willing to tell the world, look, this is what's going to happen. We just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. Yeah, okay. So I, I don't I don't see moving toward a digital distribution model only. And I'm a big proponent of digital distribution, don't get me wrong. But I, for one thing, <clears throat> first of all, as for my opinion, I'd be sad if watching films in theaters ever went away. Because that's uh, – I like going to the theater and watching it on a big screen better than my TV with the surround sound and a – you know, I like that experience. But that aside – we're we're seeing more people going to the theaters than ever before, but but they are spending more money on particular big budget films, and not um, and not 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 the middle of the road films as we're seeing. So, and that I think that kind of speaks to what they're talking about. I think they're drawing the wrong conclusion. I don't think that we're moving to a uh, distribution of internet first release model. I would like to see, you know, obviously, and now I'm talking about what I would like to see. I would like to see more of a push toward internet distribution more quickly after the film is out of theaters. But, you know, um, I don't, I certainly don't see us moving towards movie theaters becoming an event, you know, and it's a $150 ticket or whatever, and you go out to the symphony, the same, and this is the same thing as going out to the symphony or something. I don't see that happening. That's not going to happen. By the way, do you ever go to the symphony? No, <laughs> I, I haven't. Really? I, I would Never? like to. No, I, I mean, I, like I've been to, well, it depends on what you mean. I've been to classical concerts and different things with my wife. and. Okay, uh, that counts. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, you know. Uh, I thought Laramie Legal's piece over at film.com, and, and this will be in the show notes, by the way, moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 48. Um, Spielberg and Lucas definitely created a stir. And yeah. some people want this. This is what they want. Um, others feel like we're losing something very significant. It was just, what, a couple of months ago that the last theater in the country using 35 millimeter film or whatever it was <laughs> shuttered and uh, started. Uh, to use the digital projectors or something like that. There's very few, if none left, right? That use digital. I mean, all of them use digital now. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. For the most part, there are a few little art house films that still use projectors, but you know, and I, I understand why too, even though I like film projection, yeah. um, you, you can easily understand why. And I've, I've written about this before. I won't belabor that point too much, Yeah. but, um, Laramie legal, uh, and his piece made a stunning case for, uh, he, he kind of broke down the numbers, uh, you know, of of uh, the gross here in the U.S. and then the all the international numbers. Um, uh, let's see, John Carter, five hundred fifty-two million dollar loss domestically. Brave, two hundred twenty-five million dollar loss domestically. Wreck It Ralph, two hundred twenty-three million dollar loss domestically. Secret World of uh, Arietti, seventy-four million dollar loss domestically. He went through all these things. So, and he says, so out of thir- Disney's thirteen major releases, a whopping seven actually lost money in theaters, not counting toys, residuals, or international dollars. 
The total of all this math, negative $1 billion. So Disney is insolvent, right? Well, let's all attend the going out of business sale. Can I buy the castle? <laughs> no, of course not, because once you add in all those delicious international dollars, the grand total is plus $900 million. So the, the, the point that he's making is we're, we're f- too focused on our domestic audience and not enough on the international Exactly. Yes. And I've, I've, for the entire time I've been running Movie Byte, which is almost a year now, I've wondered why, why the international numbers tend to be second class and ignored. Like, right. this well, is the total well, of the films that. bringing in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Man of Steel has turned a million or so in profit because of the international total. I mean, why aren't you paying attention to that? Yeah. That's what the studios are paying attention to. And that is why they seem to move slower than we do in this market expecting changes to how we get television, cable, satellite, internet television, and movie theater entertainment. It's because the, the theaters are not their only outlet. And I wonder, like, can't George and Steven see that? Can't, I mean, surely they do. They, they get around more than we do. Yeah, I don't anyway. know. So Laramie goes on to say, the real losers in this global, cert- this global reach, the smaller budget films. Why make Frankenweenie when it won't play well overseas? Why bother with the odd life of Timothy Green when it has no pull internationally because old Tim's oddity is, a large, is largely a domestic phenomenon? So while Spielberg's contention of an implosion coming is correct, he's dead wrong on what will disappear. There's still $2 billion out there for Disney when they release huge films or simply go back to the well with 3D conversions. Smaller drama is not worth the time anymore. A very scary trend indeed. George Lucas agreed that massive changes are afoot, including film exhibition morphing somewhat into a Broadway play model, whereby fewer movies are, are released. They stay in theaters for a year, and ticket prices are much higher. His prediction prompted Spielberg to recall that his 1982 film E.T. the Extraterrestrial stayed in theaters for a year and four months, which he says, incorrect. This is hilariously wrong. It's like saying, man, back in the day, everyone used ships to cross the Atlantic. I can see that coming back. No, no, no. A thousand times no. <laughs> The actual thing that's going down is movies are getting more and more front-loaded, i.e. everyone sees them opening weekend, more so with each passing year. Avatar is one of the few recent examples of a movie that had decent longevity, but The Avengers made one-third of its total box office in just three days. The first three days. This is an outlier. It's the way things are going. If anything, home video windows will shrink and you'll see huge movies stay in theaters less than a week. So that that I agree with. That's kind of what I was kind of driving at. And uh, you really should read all of Laramie's article. It's really, really good and and great analysis over at film.com. That will be in the show It is one of the most interesting professional discussions of the year in filmmaking. And so, yeah, pay attention to it. I think it's going to keep developing. And I don't expect Spielberg to stay silent. I think him to to be the man that will come back with – you know, more food for thought and he'll be chewing on what we have been saying on the internet and what these other people have been saying. Spielberg is usually very attuned to, uh, you know, I don't want to say the, the entire market or just film critics, but it seems like he's actually very open minded and listens to a lot of people. And sometimes I think the guy likes to push the envelope and say things that are a little bit strange or seem unfounded just to see what kind of feedback he'll get. Like he likes to hear what the whole world has to say when he throws out a theory because he knows the whole world will answer him. So what are you typing? Let's get to this before. Okay. Let's get to this then. 
What are we talking about here, TJ? What did you want to talk about next? Well, what I was trying to type while you were talking in the in the outline was to come back to this link last. I so love let's the commentary about- track over top of our show. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 like the director's uh, commentary right as as we're making the show. Okay, Loki will not be in the Avengers two. That's not surprising to me, but I thought it was worth just mentioning uh, that Whedon has that said um, Thor. Um, oh, that um, Loki will not be in the Avengers two. That's and, rather uh, surprising. Well, I think what what I said when I posted this is that, that we may have tipped Thor the Dark World's hand for us. And you can, you know, I'm not going to say why, but oh, you can imagine you can imagine yeah. why that might be. Because, oh, wow. Well, I don't want to give any spoilers away. But yeah, go see the trailer and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Loki's had a good run. I mean, he's been, a, I think, a tremendous, a great villain. So you know that's that's fine i i'm i'm happy to see them do something else yeah yeah and that means that he'll be in three films total if he leaves the series <laughs> after the the thor 2 so that's that's enough of loki yeah it's time for another villain yeah so now did you want to talk about what dreamworks and netflix are up to because i don't know it just seems sort of like a public service notification if you ask me well it's it's more just interesting and more along the lines of what we've been looking for with netflix which is them to start picking up more and more original content and to start making the studio model kind of go away or i should say the current studio model where you know studios get uh market their films to uh channels cable channels or over-the-air channels and uh their films their tv shows and uh you know they're kind of constrained by that system, and uh, this the, I, I per, far prefer the on-demand model. So, boy, you can tell I'm not feeling good. I'm stumbling over my words. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So. Um, I find it interesting. I don't know. It's an it's it, again like so many of these things in the film industry. We have been seeing the signs for these things that are in the works for a long time. Yeah, and in, inevitably, Netflix would pioneer like they already have with uh the house of cards and the other show uh which is not called the other show a lot of tv shows have really dumb names like that these days um what is it called uh house of pain or whatever it is house of, what are you talking about house of cards what, no what are you no, talking no. about the, uh, the, the other series the the com the comedy series on netflix oh. that they bought from a tv show oh oh, uh, oh, oh. I'm, I'm even watching it to, or i'm watching i'm watching the first season to see if i can get up to the fourth season i know what mm-hmm. you're talking about though yeah oh my goodness it's terrible netflix <laughs> original it's a very series. popular show yes it is uh the bluths um the bluths <laughs> well it's not the name of it but that's the name of the family yeah uh arrested development thank you jody thank you. Yes, thank you. Arrested Development. Boy, oh boy. We're, we're both ah, doing bad here. We are. And, and we, we have a talk show, Joe, and we can't talk. Between your <laughs> germs and my whiskey, we're, we're no good tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, well, so, so anyway, the point is it's exciting <laughs> to me to see Netflix uh, cooking up more original content. They've partnered with DreamWorks. They're partnering with DreamWorks to do this. We're, we're going to see some of DreamWorks characters, such as probably maybe Shrek or characters from Shrek. You know, I don't know that all that sounds very interesting to me, except that it's original content that Netflix is doing as if they were a channel and it's on demand content, which I'm all on board with. So love it. It kind of makes sense. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe 
I don't know. Does that mean it won't appear up on other downloadable means like Amazon Prime or iTunes? Uh, probably not. I mean, because it's a Netflix exclusive. Why would Why would Netflix want other uh, mediums want it to be available via other mediums? I don't know. Yeah, Netflix would probably be the one to stop it. DreamWorks yeah. has a lot of their media already up there on Netflix, so they yeah. must have a good relationship. They do. It seems like they do. So, all right, you want to talk about Man of Steel? Yes. First thing, before we dive into the review, Man of Steel Universe will reboot Batman. Hey, what do you think about talking about that after the review? Because it makes more sense in keeping with it being a sequel. You want to talk about it afterwards? I mean, uh, sure. it's, it's, inter- it's interesting enough. I just, we haven't even talked about Man of Steel yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm dying to, man. Okay. That's, what, that's why I'm tuned into the show tonight. <laughs> you tuned in to talk about Man of Steel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You and I both have very... Very interesting, different, strong feelings about this superhero and his mythos. Every person can be a force for good. It sounded like he said every possum can be a force for good. He did. (laughs) He his own destiny. All right. That was from the trailer of Man of Steel. Um, yeah, that really doesn't do it justice. No. I, I should let that music play, because that's like... It's a... Wow, our show just got a What's that? I take it you like this music. I do like the music okay. I, I, I have to say, I Look really... Look at you. A few weeks ago, you were like... Without John Williams, this movie is going to stink. I didn't say that. I do miss John Williams' music. I really miss it. Um, I I really miss the Superman theme, you know. But Hans Zimmer did okay. You know, he he made he made a decent score for the film, so I'll give him a pass on that. Mm. <sighs> but uh, so, Man of Steel. What, what what do we want to say about this first, Joe? You you liked it? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well. Mm. I'm really conflicted about this because I have always been very, very close to the Man of Steel. I feel like I know him personally. And uh, I, I've gone through all kinds of turmoil wondering what Hollywood would do with him since Christopher Reeve, since television shows like Lois and Clark. Oh, and <laughs> oh that was terrible. And, terrible. And Smallville. Uh, not not as bad, but you know we can talk about that a completely different show. That's the, that's for the other show. Um, so the Man of Steel. Remember our anticipations. Let's talk about our anticipations a second because okay. we were both like, "Yay, another Superman film." We love superheroes, and he is the most important of them all, right? Uh, I don't know if I'd say he's the most important, but he is an important superhero. He was one of the first to come to the big screen, right, with Christopher Reeve and and you know that Superman the movie nineteen seventy eight was a great film. It was somewhere I read that in the whole world, TJ, the most recognizable icon is the cross, the Christian cross. That is the most iconic symbol that everybody knows. It's in, on all corners of the world. Do you know what the second most iconic symbol is? Probably Superman's uh, family crest. It is. It is. And that's what I mean by it's like he has the most renown. He is the most well-known. He's the most popular. 
He seems to work for more people um, in general. I don't know why per se. It's not obvious why he is. And there's a lot that a lot of people feel are lacking in his stories. You know, he like, for instance, there's a lot of people who feel that Superman has way too many powers. So at the end of the day, no villain can possibly really be competitive with him. I don't feel that way. And I think a lot of his fans don't feel that way. I kind of feel that way. Just a little bit. Like it's uh, okay. We'll get to that though. We'll get to that. Yeah. So my, my anticipation was Zack Snyder. I have seen your movies, sir. And I'm really worried about you handling this movie and knowing that Christopher Nolan was involved as a producer that gave me hope. And when Christopher said, hey, you know what? I've talked with Zach and I didn't want to make the movie before, but knowing that Zach is involved and you know, knowing what we have discussed, I want to be a part of this film. I want to produce it. And then Zach essentially saying the same thing. Back when they originally announced they were producing this film, it was reported how Zach was approached by the studio. And Zach was like, are you serious? You want me to direct Superman? You know how I do films. For me to direct Superman is essentially asking me to tell a documentary, to, to, to film a documentary. Because his films are so stylized that a Superman film in comparison would look like a documentary. And so that's why uh, if it was a good cause for concern that he would take it too far and it would be way too uh, 300-like. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. But then when the teaser trailer came out, I, I fell in love with it. And then oddly enough, I seemed to be the only one. And I, I talked to a lot of people and, and this was back around Christmas or maybe last year, late last, last fall. And people weren't digging it yet. I was, so, I was, for my part, really worried when that teaser trailer came out. I hated it. Really? I still love it. I think it's one of the best trailers of the year. And then there were the follow-up trailers and everybody starts digging it. And it surprised me because there was a lot of contrast in the themes of the trailer one and trailer two types that came after the, the teaser. Yeah, but those were much more interesting to me. I was much more sold by those trailers. And, and you and I actually have very different movie tastes, and that explains it too, which we'll get to in a little bit about our likes and dislikes. So finally, it comes down to the day, and I have not read any other critics' reviews. I still haven't, and I'm proud of that. But I have talked about it with many friends, and all of them hesitate to go see this film. All of them were hesitant before the movie was released because, well, they're just not sure if they want to go see another superhero film just yet because, let's face it, a lot of people are going to mostly see super film, superhero films these days in theater, and so it's a little bit like the, 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 the general going public might be a little exhausted of superheroes for the time being. And here this movie's coming out about Superman. So they want to hear what the critics have to say and the people who showed up for opening night. And I, I hear that the general going public has very mixed feelings, polarizing feelings about this film yeah and having seen the film i can see why it is a very polarizing film i I think i don't think there's any in between i think you either love the film or you hate it now how did did you were you the one that noticed what michael menkoff said about the film and the critics response yes i i did mention that that was a very good point that was a very interesting point that the critics were split on this film 
there, there's been a mixed consensus, but for the more majority, there are those that hate it and those who love it. And there's not just a general consensus of people saying that they just, they're not sure, you know, it'd be, it'd be a bad thing if in general people just had mixed feelings, but what's actually happening is the critics are split where there's a, you know, a little bit of a majority of them, slight majority who dislike it. And then there's another portion that really like it. So I go in to see this film thinking, okay, I'm lowering all my expectations. I just hope that it reminds me of a, a Christopher Nolan film to fail. Huh? Really? Okay. Have you seen his other films besides the Batman films? No, I, uh, I saw inception. That is a fail. Okay. So then, um, I hoped that Zod would be at least as good as Zod in the Christopher Reeve films. And then I hoped that it would um, overcome I, I have a to lot say, of the problems with the Superman Returns film. I have to say, as far as Zod being at least as good as uh, Zod in the original Superman films, also fail. I didn't talk about it much in my review, but I didn't think he was as good. Okay. Anyway. Fourth, fourthly, I hoped that it would be interesting to watch for the whole two hours and 23 minutes. Fail. <laughs> wow. Th- those were the things I had on my plate. And apparently TJ just, I won't say the words I'm thinking right now, but TJ had very strong feelings about all of those. He knows what he thinks. TJ, you're a man of your word and your commitment to, um, being opinionated. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be quiet while you talk, but I just, <laughs> just the opinion is there, man. Go wow. ahead. Go ahead. Okay. You know, this is coming from the one guy that I know on planet earth that likes, doesn't just feel okay about, but likes Superman returns. No, I really love Superman returns. Okay. And, and like you said, you put it almost on par with the original Superman film with Reeve. Oh, it is. Um, it is there. I can't decide which one's better. So I just call him uh, high. And even more than Superman 2. Oh, way, 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 way uh, more. I didn't like Superman 2. Oh, wow. Okay, so... Okay, well then... <laughs> you, you're, you're lost for words. I, uh, yes! <laughs> I have no, there's nothing else to say here. I'm at a loss. Okay, so you are, you are you done setting up your expectations? Shall I set up what mine were? Yes. Okay. Go for it. Here, here's here's how I came into this film. Um, I got to start back at the beginning. Uh, I grew up with Superman the movie. We had it on VHS. Uh, I, not the very beginning. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, uh, you gotta go to bed now, man. <clears throat> I'm taking over. Ah, okay. Uh, Superman the movie. We had it on VHS. I I loved that film so much, and I think we I'm pretty sure that VHS tape like wore out, and we had to replace it at least once. Um, so I love that film. I grew up with it, so I'm a little biased towards it. It's hard to look at it objectively, but it had been several years since I saw it, and I watched it I think last year and loved it again, and fell in love with it all over again. So of course, Superman two. I didn't love it. Was okay. It it was it, it kind of had some of the same failings that I think that Zack Snyder's film has, which is what's interesting about taking Kryptonians that are invincible and letting them pound on each other. That's just not interesting. So um, yeah, that was a bit of a failure. 
Um, which, by the way, while I'm talking about Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. And, and yes, uh, Jody's asking if I know the, the story behind Superman 2, and I do. Um, which is that Richard Donner was fired after differences with the studio and Richard Lester was hired to take over, which he reshot many scenes and they were shot different years. And so he used footage that Richard Donner had shot and that he had shot and it didn't cut together, blah, 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 blah. So the Richard Donner cut, while it also has its problems because the, some of the footage just isn't there for him to tell the story he meant to tell, it is much better. The, super, the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. Superman 3 and 4, we pretend... Most of us, I think, in the world pretend they don't exist. I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's uni- th- both of those films are universally hated. So along finally comes Superman Returns, and I loved it. And I was disappointed that not very many other people loved it and that the box office, it didn't do well at the box office. And therefore, we never got to build in that more on that universe uh, with, with Brandon Ruth and with uh, Kate Bosworth. So... This is how I'm coming into watching the first trailer for Man of Steel. I'm upset and irritated that they're going to reboot this franchise. You know, I just I wanted it to go on with with Superman Returns and and kind of build from there, and it it didn't it didn't didn't do that. So so I came in and watched that trailer, and and I didn't like the trailer that well. It didn't sell me on the film. But then trailer one, uh, the, the the first full trailer hits, and I start to get a little bit excited. And then I hear some of uh, Hans Zimmer's music in trailer two, and then trailer three, I think it was, and then the extended trailer. And by the time the film shows up, I am actually pretty excited. I'm like, this is going to be good. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be happy with this. That was that that's, that's setting up my expectations, oh. or or my background coming into this film. I should I should back up and say one thing, my friends, that. You know, I, I prejudged um, Superman Returns a bit harshly a moment ago. Yeah. The thing is, I feel very strongly about it, and most of the people I know who I've discussed it with, n- no one wants to remember it. It's like they've blocked it out of their memories. It's that bad. <sighs> it's so good. But so good. On, okay, but the thing is, TJ, you're not entirely crazy. There's a lot of other people out there that are right there with you, other crazy ones, and they all <laughs> give it an average of, on Rotten Tomatoes, a 75%. And that's saying a lot, considering that the Man of Steel got what was it, and an eighty-two from the audience. Yeah, so this and, film and, and it had made better. seven percentage points more. That's not a big difference. Well, and the thing is, uh, Superman Returns had much better critical reception overall, percentage-wise. Well, I wasn't talking about Superman Re- no, two or which which one are you talking Superman about? Superman Returns. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You think it had more positive acclaim? Well, I know. I looked it up on yeah. on uh, Rotten Tomatoes when I was doing my review, and it had decent uh, – crit- uh, um, Interesting. Yeah, decent tomato meter ratings. Wow. I just I, – I, I have that movie. I have watched it since it came out, and I just don't – Yeah, 75%. The more I see it, the more I'm annoyed. 75%. No, and the more I see it, the more I love it. I'm, I'm, I need to go back and watch it We're not reviewing that movie, though, tonight. But I know, I, I know. I'm glad we have discussed this because there is a lot of contrast between this film and anything that remotely resembles uh, Christopher Reeve films. So everybody who hasn't seen this film yet, Jody, you, I'm thinking about you, and everybody else that are th- along with Jody who have not seen The Man of Steel, what you should know is that, yes, this film really wipes the slate clean and you can picture that nothing is going to remind you of a Christopher Reeve film. Not really. Now, what will this film remind you of going into it? It'll remind you a little bit of Smallville 
not for the bad things, but for the good things. That's just an observation of mine. I, this I is Man really of Steel enjoyed, you're talking about now. I know, I know. And I really enjoyed Smallville for its glory days, for its early seasons. Yeah, so I want to get into that more. That's my opinion of Smallville. The first four seasons were fantastic. I honestly cannot speak for the seasons after season five. I haven't seen them. And I know that its popularity declined. I didn't stop watching it because no one else was watching it. I'll probably go back and watch it someday. But the thing is, Brandon Ruth, who played Clark Kent in Superman Returns, has a lot in common, not necessarily the same as or equal to, but a lot in common with Christopher Reeve. If, if you had to put them in two categories, those two were obviously trying to be similar. Now, over here, you have the Man of Steel. And this guy, Henry Cavill, who plays Clark Kent, he is obviously taking after the Tom Welling version of Superman. And I think for all of his finer qualities, leaving behind him a lot of the teenage angst and terrible girlfriends. Um, so, so that's the setup for you. Now let's talk a little bit about the plot, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Then, then I can get to bashing this film. Well, hey, you want to suck on a few more cough drops? I'll go ahead and tackle this. Yes, please. The planet Krypton faces a min- imminent destruction due to its unstable core, and its ruling council is under the threat of rebel General Zod and, its follow- and his followers. Scientist Jarrell and his wife, Lara, launch their naturally conceived newborn... So- okay, I'm sorry, people. I should just go ahead and say, sorry, <laughs> this is going to be a, a spoiler driven plot uh, summary because we haven't filtered this yet. I'm so sorry. The here, here, here's your marker. Spoiler warning. Spoiler alert. Yes. This is the Wikipedia plot line and I'm sorry, but it will have spoilers. So if, if you want to avoid it, just tune out for a few minutes and come back. I, I will obviously tell you when the All right. we've, stop. we've warned them enough. Let's go. <sighs> okay. Sorry, people. You can never make the people happy. Okay. Uh, let's back up to the beginning of the sentence. Scientist Jarrell and his wife Lara launched their naturally conceived newborn son Kal-El on a spacecraft to Earth, infusing his cells with a genetic codex to preserve the Kryptonian race. After Zod murders Jarrell for stealing the codex, he and his followers are captured by Kryptonian soldiers and banished to the Phantom Zone. However, Krypton explodes sometime shortly afterwards. The infant Kalel is raised as an adopted son by Jonathan and Martha Kent, who named him Clark. That actually is shown throughout the film in flashbacks. Uh, That's not a linear storytelling like uh, it was with Richard Donner's film. Yeah, yeah. Clark's Kryptonian physiology affords him superhuman abilities on Earth, which initially cause him confusion, but he gradually learns to harness his powers to help others. Jonathan reveals to a teenage Clark that he is an alien and advises him not to use his powers publicly, fearing that society will reject him. After Jonathan's death, an adult Clark spends several years living a nomadic lifestyle, working different jobs under false names. He eventually infiltrates a scientific discovery of a Kryptonian scout ship in the Arctic. Clark enters the alien ship and it allows him to communicate with his preserved consciousness of Jarrell in the form of a hologram. Lois Lane, a journalist of the Daily Planet who was sent to write a story on this discovery of the ship, 
sneaks inside the ship while Clark's uh, while Clark is in there, and Clark ends up having to rescue her. Lois editor uh, Lois's editor Perry White uh, rejects <coughs> Lois's story of this superhuman rescuer she met at the ship. So she traces Clark back to Kansas with the intention of writing an expose. After hearing Clark's story in Smallville, she decides not to reveal his secret. Having been freed from the Phantom Zone from uh, when Krypton exploded, Zod and his crew seek out a, a other colony worlds, only to find that the Kryptonians in general had all been deceased. They eventually follow to Krypton. Uh, sorry, they eventually follow a Kryptonian distress signal that was sent from the ships discovered there on Earth, the one that Clark was in when he met his, uh, his father there. Zod demands that the humans surrender Kal-El, who he believes has the Codex. And uh, what is this, TJ? This is getting boring. Okay, you're saying we should wrap up this. Uh, you were supposed to say that on the show. Goodness, this show, this, this is the worst show ever. <laughs> wow. You want to talk about our show or do you want to talk about the movie? Continue. No, basically, I think I've said enough. Let's just say this movie, uh, in addition to what you heard there in the plot, people, is uh, in a genre. It's very sci-fi and it's very much a epic and it has those those tones that epic films do. Um, I know that's a very loosely held you know, that's not even a genre, right? Yeah. That's just a characteristic. You know, you kind of know what I'm talking about when you've seen it. And then apart from being an epic and a sci-fi, this is a drama and it's a rather serious one. It's very serious. And, you know, as far as sci-fi goes, this is definitely the most sci-fi version of Superman I've ever seen. I, I, I can't think of any other Superman that really went this sci-fi with it and really brought out the alien aspect. And, and, and you know, as much as I, I have to say bad about this film, that's actually one of the better points of this film. Like, I I liked that. I thought it was a good way to go. Yeah, I really liked what we saw uh, of Krypton. Uh, to me, the weakest point— Can, can, can you clarify? Do you mean like you liked their culture and the art of their culture and its architecture? Or yeah, the, 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 the world planet? building. The world building, I suppose. You, you Okay, like all the facets of the world building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked it because before, like in Superman the movie, Krypton felt very sterile and not like something that would exist in the real universe. Yeah. It, it just – it didn't feel right. As much as I loved Superman the movie, I, I, Krypton never felt like a real place. And and this <sighs> felt very much like a real place in the real universe. You know what I'm I, saying? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say that in the original <laughs> film by Donner, I really liked the way they represented Krypton because it was so starkly different from what you would expect to find on earth. Mm. Like they don't have animals like we do. Their atmosphere is different. And you'd expect that because there's not two planets with similar atmospheres. You would expect them not to, you know, have a very similar culture that reminds you of the medieval period and things like that. So for me, ultimately I favor the representation of the world building of the original film. But that said, I think that, it's 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 also obvious that the production values for this film make everything on Krypton look real. Even the animals, which I didn't really care about, I didn't like them because they, to me, were borrowed from Star Wars prequels. Uh, that's that's how they felt to there me. There weren't many, and there was only one animal, and it wasn't that big of a deal. Jarrell flew a funny-looking pterodactyl mammal thing. I kind of liked that part. And then he crashes it 
and it dies in the process very quickly like it's a, a machine that just, you know, you know, died when it ran out of fuel or something. It's really weird. No, it got hit. Didn't you see it get hit? It got hit, but it died so quickly and conveniently when Jarrell was done using it. It was like, I guess I didn't, barely didn't got him there. That didn't bother me. I, 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 I appreciated the world building in the sense that it, lo- that it looks really real people, but Jarrell himself has suddenly become an action hero in this universe because on Krypton, what do we see him do? We see him running and dodging, you know, uh, fleeing from, you know, authorities, uh, fleeing from General Zod. Beating, beating up General Zod. Beating up Zod. I didn't that, like that. That was so, Because yeah. he's, he's a scientist. He's not a, and, and Zod is obviously a, a military hero. He is the best of their military. He is the very top of the food chain and the very utmost professional scientist just whooped him. <laughs> it, that didn't make any sense. Yeah, that didn't either to me either. Um, I, I agree, but but in, in general, and maybe at this point in the film, because this is the very first part of the film, yeah, I'd, it's I'd, like I'd, a prologue. It's a it's a <clears> segment. It's, it's, it's a little bit it. long pro- of a prologue, which which makes me angry further down the line because it's like, okay, totally steal time from the prologue to tell me the real story later when you're not telling me the story the way I want it to be. You know, not spending enough time telling the story. But we'll get to that at this point in the film. Maybe maybe my deal is that I was still I was still happy. And I, I was still like, okay, this is probably going to still be a good film. So maybe that's why I'm not as critical. But I really didn't like it. I, I, I liked what we saw of Krypton. So, you know, uh, that's, you know, we differ on that. <clears throat> I will say, too, I didn't think that uh, another, you know, that, that somebody else besides Marlon Brando could pull off Jarrell the right way and though you know russell crowe's jarrell is not the same at all as marlon brando's i i thought he was good do you agree you don't Uh, i I don't know yet what i think i think he's so new to me that i'm not i'm not accustomed to him yet so i don't think i dislike him i just i'm not sure that i've grown accustomed to him okay well i don't think we're gonna see him again in next in the next installment but you know I don't know how they can do that. We've already sounded spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah but they basically they basically not only of course is the real Jarrell dead, but I, there's as far as we know no more copies of his consciousness left anywhere. Well, whatever happened to the Fortress of Solitude? That doesn't exist in this universe. I don't know if you <laughs> Well, they introduced that the the ship was up in the Arctic. So suppose may, maybe they were suggesting that the ship was a replacement for the Fortress of Solitude. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, I guess we'll talk about the ship and we talk about dislikes. Oh, when you said ship, I thought you were going to say something else. Ship. Hmm. You know, okay. the the ship that is crashed and yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, so wait a minute. Let's just just talk about the overall real fast. First off, you say that it, this does not remind you of a Christopher Nolan film. Why? When I think of a Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan film, the very first film I think of, of course, is Batman Begins, and this doesn't feel anything like that. Oh come on! That's a be specific. Why? <laughs> How? What is it that stands out to you as being specifically Nolan in Batman Begins? Spending time with the characters and getting to know them. Okay, he was not good at that in The Dark Knight Rises or in The Dark Knight. I will agree that he lost sight of that a little, but in the in Batman Begins, and, and that's my first impression of Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, as Batman Begins, we spent a lot of time learning about the characters and spending time with them and getting to know them, and that was totally absent from this film. Hmm. <clears throat> and that's why I think that it doesn't feel very Christopher Nolan-y. Now, that could just be me uh, putting my 
because Batman Begins influences my thinking on how uh, on Christopher Nolan the filmmaker, that could be me saying, well, if it's not like Batman Begins, it's not Christopher Nolan. So that that's what I mean. <laughs> it, that's what I mean is that you know I don't Joe I don't know that I can agree with you that the Dark Knight did not spend character time. I thought the, that it the did. Dark Knight did, but it didn't do it with Bruce. They did it with no, other characters. But, but we'd already established Bruce, so it was okay to do it with other characters. Yeah, I and, disagree. In, in Man of Steel... It's got Batman in the name of the movie. I mean, come on. He's it, supposed to be the main it, character. Okay, fine. But in Man of Steel, we didn't spend time with anybody in a, in a meaningful way. It was... It, it's, it's, well, that's a little bit more characteristic of a superhero... Uh, sorry, a, a Superman genre... Um, no, 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 no. A Superman franchise film. Like you go back to the Superman Returns, you'll remember that there were portions that were good at character building while they were introducing Lois or while they were introducing um, Lex Luthor. I thought that those were pretty good. I like the way that they develop him. I think that's maybe why I like Superman Returns so much is because it felt like the most character driven of any of the Superman films. No, no, no. Uh, Donner's film is the the most character driven. Well, Donner's film is really good at that too. You you really feel like you got to know Superman over the course of that film. You were inside his head and you knew what made him tick. You spent a lot of time with him when he was young and it worked really well. I agree. (laughs) Well, well, you're you're talking about Superman. Okay, let's talk, let's break this down. Let's talk about Superman then, because he was in the Man of Steel, and we shouldn't be talking about Lex because he wasn't in this. Movie. He was not. That's right. Um, okay, so his corporation Clark Kent, was Clark Kent and Superman in Richard Donner's film is very much an insecure young man before he goes to the Fortress of Solitude, and he is quite himself, but he's also aimless, and then he finds out the truth. From his father. He spends 12 years with him. If you remember that film, he spends 12 years being educated by the artificial intelligence. And then he, he, he leaves the fortress knowing exactly what kind of human being he wants or alien he wants to be. (laughs) (laughs) And, and this is, this is Donner's version of Superman. This is one of the, one of the few minor quibbles I've always had with that version. And it is this. Clark Kent at the Daily Planet is a facade of the man. He is a a caricature of who Clark really is. He's not really clumsy. He's not really a buffoon. He's not really that gawky. But he puts it on for covering up his identity. So we appreciate the way it was executed. But in truth, we don't really get to see an adult Clark Kent. And then two, Superman in that film as a character, as a man, the, the role that Clark is when he dons the cape, that too is a facade. That too is, I, I'm playing a role. I want to save people. I want to help the world. And I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to help everybody. I'm going to help the kids. I'm going to help the cats up in the tree. I'm going to stop the bank robbers. And I'll save you know California every now and then. But that in and of itself has to put on such a high persona that he's not willing to answer all the questions with Lois Lane in an interview for the Daily Planet. He isn't willing to uncover certain things that divulge the real man. So he's only willing to put up the, the acting of this character that he, he wants to be known as, as Superman. But don't, so but, but, you but, but, actually but, don't okay, spend okay. time, you don't ever spend time with whoever that guy is I, I don't agree. when he's not playing the part of Superman or playing the part of 
the bumbling Clark Kent. But I don't I don't agree though with that assessment, Joe, because I don't think that any of that's a facade. The Clark Kent thing is a little bit of a facade, but that's what makes him who he is. We all do that. We all project what we want people to to think of us as. And obviously Superman is who he is projecting as this is this is who I am. And that's part of what makes him who he is. Okay, well then in contrast, in the Man of Steel, you just have one guy you have this one guy. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jody. Jody, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm jo- See, I think Superman is always playing a part. Yes, I completely agree. Jody in the chat room. Thank you. Well, then, Jody, your whole world is going to be turned upside down because the Man of Steel, you have a guy who is very much Clark until he realizes he's an alien when he's a teenager. And when that happens, it derails him. He wonders what he ought to be. And he realizes, well, okay, maybe I should be doing good deeds since I have these special abilities. But he is a very shallow adult. He, he doesn't want to be jo- a part of society, and he doesn't want to get too close to anyone, and he, can, he kind of considers himself a danger. And once he learns who his father is, that he came from Krypton, etc., then what is he? Well, he's a guy who dons a Kryptonian uh, suit, and then he goes about saving people because he's forced into it, but he's willing. But yeah, he is forced into it. I mean, let's face it. And he doesn't pretend to be anything that he, that he isn't. He is just, he's winging it. He doesn't even know how to be a superhero in this story. He's not sure how he, what his philosophy is, except that he doesn't want to hurt people. And that's about it. And he doesn't want other Kryptonians hurting people. So he wants to interfere. And so it's not like he's trying to be an American ideal. He doesn't want to be a symbol. But inherently he is the moment he puts on the suit. It's just that he's not trying to be the symbol like Christopher Reeve's Superman was. And so this guy is just Clark trying to figure out who he wants to be. And at the end of the film, that is when he discovers who he wants to be. And guess what? This is not a bumbling Clark. This is a Clark that is mild-mannered, yes, but very much just <coughs> Cal L raised from farm, you know, on how Farmville. No, on Smallville. Yeah, on a farm. Yes. That grew up and moved to the big city. And he's he he's not putting on a show except for just one thing and that is the glasses. That's it. And so, and so that's what I'm talking about, how different these characters are. You got another one there? Yeah, you, got, are you running low? Should I run up to the store? Yeah, you please, can, can you send me some virtual cough drops? I'm, I'm dying here. <clears throat> well, you said I'm the you know, Superman or something like that at the beginning of the show. I You're mean, the man of steel. Okay. I could fly them out there. Great. Okay. Right, continue. Well, no, I, I, that, that was my point. Um, Fire okay. away. I mean, uh, you know, analyze. All right. Well, I want to talk about one more specific thing. I wanted to kind of talk about our likes first and then our dislikes. Uh, I, I've mentioned the two things that I like was Krypton and Russell Crowe is Jarrell. And one more thing is as much as I – okay, I got to go back. <clears throat> Margot Kidder played Lois Lane in Superman 1, 2, 3, and 4. She wasn't in 3 very much. Uh-huh. But uh, Margot Kidder played Lois Lane. I never – 
never liked her as Lois Lane. It, it was like the one drag of, of the series that, that she was Lois Lane. She was whiny and complainy and had that just – I didn't like her. I think it's a personality <laughs> conflict. Um, but you know, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't detract from the movie so much. The movies so much, or I should say, specifically Superman the movie. It didn't detract from it so much that you couldn't enjoy the film. Well, the the one thing that bothered me about the way that she was portrayed as Lois Lane in the seventy eight film and beyond is that she was always, in some ways, like not an attractive. Um, partner for life Does right it's sense? like what attracted superman yeah what attracted I mean, clark you could see how they could be casual friends but it's hard to imagine what their basis is for romance because clark is i mean he has a he has a lot of the weight of the world on his mind and you'd think that he would have to be a rather mature 30 some odd year yeah, old yeah 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 and yet and the, here he's always <clears throat> kidding around with this this woman who is really beneath him and I'm not saying that she isn't likable or attractive. It's just that she doesn't seem to be a good match for Clark Kent. Yeah. Did you ever watch the, uh, oh, I think it was in the 60s or maybe it was the late 50s, the the series of George Reeves as Superman, mm-hmm. the old black and white no, TV I series. I really liked the Lois Lane, although there was two different actresses that played her, but both of them were good, smart and um, – and and you know would get into trouble and Superman would save her sometimes, but also smart enough and and could could think for herself, and you know wasn't the whiny complainy Margot Kidder Lois Lane. Anyway, that's it's kind of a side note. Uh. Margot Kidder, she didn't do a good Lois Lane in my estimation. And you you know this is a long standing complaint I have with the Superman franchise is what would attract Superman to Lois Lane? Why does he like her? He just does, you know. And I, so didn't like Margot Kidder. Kate Bosworth came in and played a great Lois Lane. Uh, just I thought she was fantastic. And even though you you know since they were building on Superman one and two or ostensibly they couldn't really go back and tell the story of how Superman became attracted to her. But I was happy with Kate Bosworth as Lois Lane. Well, I don't but, think that this film. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I, I think I'm know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Well. As much as I like Kate Bosworth, I have to say this is in my like category. The very few likes that I have for Super for Man of Steel, Amy Adams is the best Lois Lane we have seen yet. But even so, it didn't address my long-standing complaint that there is no. The, even though she's a more likable Lois Lane, Amy Adams and Kate Bosworth for that matter, there's no reason why Superman should feel especially attracted to her in the way the story is told. I, I just don't get it. But but I but, but that's that, I, I digress. Uh, Amy Adams was a great Lois Lane. She she had things to do in the film. She was integral to the plot. She played it well. You well, totally believed the, her in the part. I think that was the basis for her relationship to Clark was that she had gone really out of her way to to show an interest in this guy who is Clark or whatever you want to call him. People, I'm just going to go ahead and call him a human being. Because that's that's how I perceive the character. He is essentially, yeah, and, and a that's superhuman being. And that's what Lois thinks. Thank you. We can call him a super. Yeah, Superman. No, no, no. Like you know, The Incredibles. He's a super. I knew what she meant. These are supers. Yeah. Look out, supers. Okay. Um, she perceives him to be a very intriguing, you know, guy because he's the first of his ilk, and. She really, I mean, she seems genuinely fascinated, not like uh, the Margot Kidder Lois Lane, 
with his his you know masculinity and his powers you know who she she seemed all googly eyed about you know superman this this lois lane is just extremely interested in <coughs> what this means to the world that there is a superman in the world and then when she gets past that then she realizes she's actually interested in Clark Kent and his life because she sees that he is a shell of a man. And of all the people who should not be a shell of a man, she thinks he deserves to be a complete human being. And then devastating things happen. Zod happens. And in the process, she realizes whether she liked it or not, she's been dragged into this. And so she's going to try and play her part and be there for Cal because she knows that she hasn't figured all of this out. She doesn't know what to make of the situation yet. And she sees that in Clark as well. He hasn't figured it all out. He, he doesn't know what to do with his future. So at the end of the film, when Clark decides to work for the Daily Planet, they finally resolve that, that Clark has figured it out on his own, but he was inspired by Lois. And Lois, that is the basis for their very meaningful friendship. Um, well, let me so, just say... Which introduces another <clears throat> issue. So do you? does it bother you that Lois knows who Clark is? Let's back up. I just want to say that you're reading a whole lot into this situation. I didn't get any of that garbage that you were just putting forth. <laughs> okay. No, I, they had, they, they had exactly two conversations before General Zod shows uh, up. Come on, show. <laughs> don't tell. It, but it, they didn't show. But, but, they, but they didn't show. <clears throat> you're, you're making me yell and I my, my throat. <clears> throat. They they didn't show. Come on, man. They didn't show anything. They had you two scenes together. They had two scenes together. <laughs> <laughs> thank you there tj that's a good laugh <laughs> no i i just don't get where you're coming from man you're you're so reading into this you're, you're putting into it what you want to see you, you see what you want to see it's not there it's not there yeah I, I, you're right <clears throat> but it, i think that my what i'm seeing is well-founded um you know the more you analyze it the more this is like the 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 manifesting explanation. Uh, it's like saying Margot Kidder had no transcendent moral interest in Clark Kent or Superman that she purely liked him for his macho, you know, qualities because that's all we see. And I don't think that that's true. You know what I mean? You already, you already have to hope and believe that that Lois Lane of Christopher Reeve films had more to her than that, and that that was what Clark saw in her um, and guess. could appreciate and wanted to dr- bring, get that out of her shell. Um, so in, in, a situ- in this situation, it's, in a matter of speaking, the tables have been turned. Uh, yeah, we're getting really meta here, though. <laughs> this is All right, what, way, was the, what was the question you asked me? Into the <clears throat> Does it bother you that this Lois Lane now knows Clark's secret and that that's probably not going to change. No, well, of course it's not. No, it doesn't bother me. In fact, I would say that was one thing that I didn't like in the previous Superman mythos. I, is I is agree with you? Come, so come on, you, you. the guy puts on glasses and you can't recognize him anymore. Seriously, I like it, I like it that I, they know who's who at the get go. Yeah, I think it's fine. It, it's going to make a lot more sense for the sequels. 
And, uh, and I think it can afford them an opportunity to take their relationship in a new way, you know, new directions that they couldn't pull off before. Uh, let's, let's not talk too much about Lois. Like, like, I don't know if you've observed this, but I, I personally felt like she's actually not a, 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 a huge role in the story. She's, she's, well, she has, she has plays a key role, but you're right. Probably not a huge yeah. role. Yeah. So the, so the key roles I'm oh, sorry, the huge roles would be people like Martha, maybe Jonathan, depending on how you interpret the fact that he only appears in flashbacks. Uh, all right, all right. Let's talk about how the story was told. This is my one of my primary complaints of this film. Okay. Why would you break up your film and, and just completely tear up the pace of this film with all these flashbacks in this manner? They weren't even because well, all the filmmakers do it these they days. They weren't even well done. It was so bad. Really? Uh, come on. I, I thought that they were they were justifiable. Why is Clark Kent standing at Jonathan Kent's grave before we know he's passed away? It doesn't make any sense. It didn't work for me. I didn't connect to that. Hmm. And, and, and why? I have, I have no answer to that. I mean, you, you kind of <laughs> got a point, but I, I don't think everybody's going to perceive it the same way. It, it, it felt like in that way it was borrowing something from the comic books or it was borrowing something from what we already all know. I mean, like all of us already know. But we don't already all know because this is a different like, – like they established from the get-go, this is not your daddy Superman. This is different. So we, it could be, it can be completely different. <clears throat> While we're talking about flashbacks and Jonathan Kent, let's talk about Jonathan Kent. This is not the same Jonathan Kent we've ever known before. This Jonathan Kent once uh, refuses to let Clark be Clark. He refuses to let him be who he is to the point where he has a senseless – okay, we've already called spoilers. He has a senseless (laughs) death scene where he says, no, I'm going to go back towards the tornado. I'm going to get the dog out of the car that's on the path of the tornado, and I know you could do it and you could survive, but I'm going to go do it, and then I'm going to hold my hand out when you come to save me. I'm going to say, no, no, don't hide your power. Don't save me. Then I'm going to die, and that's going to be on your shoulders, Clark, and you're going to remember that for the rest of your life. It's going to haunt you. Oh, come on. That's what the movie does to you. But that's not – I think you're reading into it, TJ. I am not reading into it. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. It was no, terrible. Back back up here. Uh, a, a sudden tornado approaches their car while they're on the interstate. They all get out of the car, and Jonathan is eyeing everyone around them to make sure that everyone finds a place that's relatively safe to turn to go to, to get away from the tornado. So he tells Clark, Clark, help these people and go. And then Martha points out, we left a dog in the car. That was where I was thinking to myself, okay, reasonable people would have said, oh, forget the dog, sorry, we got to save ourselves. Or they would have already had the dog out of the car because Martha was so close to the, to the dog. She had the dog sitting right beside her in the car, mm-hmm. and then they got out of the car to look at the tornado that they already knew was there, and... Martha didn't turn immediately around, get the door open, and get the dog out. Obviously, for the Kent family, the dog is a part of the family, and that would have been the first thing on her mind. And I know you might say, well, not necessarily, because you know she thought a second about it, you know, a second later about the. Do- no, think about it, people. She has a very close relationship to this dog. She was sitting in the back seat of the car with the dog, and it's a big dog. They hear, hey, tornado warning. They get out of their car to look at it. 
And then they say, okay, we need to run for safety. And then after running a, a little distance away, then Martha remembers, oh, right, the dog. So at that point, that was a bad setup to me. And then what does Jonathan do? He says, Clark, you go get the dog and we'll run to safety. That's exactly what Jonathan should have said because Clark could have evaded the tornado. But for no apparent reason, then John makes a, a Jonathan makes a bad choice. He says, no, Clark, you take your mother and you go to safety with her, which kind of makes sense if he's thinking I want my wife to survive for sure. You know, maybe I'm sparing her life. Okay. No, Jonathan goes to the car to get the dog. Bad things happen. And then when he has a chance to get out of the tornado by getting his son to help him, what does he do? He, he puts up a hand and Clark can watch him in the distance die. And uh, regardless, we can both agree that it's a senseless death. You're absolutely right, because what was Martha doing? Martha was just standing there and in, in her right mind, she would not have agreed to letting Jonathan just stand there and die and not tell Clark, you know, I don't care if your dad wants him to die and you just stand here or not. You're going to go get him. I mean, that's what Martha would have done. And she said nothing. And Clark just watched and, you know, obeyed his father, <laughs> but it didn't feel – it felt dumb. You're absolutely right. It, it was forced. It was so forced. But at the same time, uh, DJ, I, I got to say this. I, I really agree with you. It was forced. But then the payoff for the rest of the story was pretty good. And, and here's what I'm thinking, that um, Jonathan Kent is more consistent – um, he is more consistently the troubled wayward father that wants the best for his family and ends up stunting Clark and making two very horrible mistakes in the story that ultimately teach Clark majorly important lessons. And that was pretty cool because Jonathan has never been that instrumental to Clark post his death before. Now Jonathan actually has a major influence on Clark not just you know for his legacy, but also for what he stood for, and that Clark ultimately decides I cannot be that kind of man that my father Jonathan Kent wanted me to be, uh, and I I think that's that's rather appealing, and that's one of the basis uh, basic points for this this film, The Man of Steel. That is something that supports its entire story arc for Clark Kent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought it was all senseless. I'm sorry. I'm talking way too much. You need to tell me more about this film. You need to tell me what, you know, let's go, let's run it and run down the likes. I mean, there there was one more like, there was basically four likes that I had in my bullet points. Uh, Vision, you know, the the uh, world building of Krypton, like that. Russell Crowe as Jarrell, like that. Lois Lane liked her. And then the way they portrayed uh, Clark's experience growing up, even though it was done in flashback and I couldn't stand that. Um, but but the way they portrayed it and how terrifying that must have really been for him as he's manifesting his powers, he can see through things, you know. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Despite the fact that there's this cheesy setup line, the world's too big, Mom. And, and, and Martha <laughs> says, then make it small. <laughs> cheesy. Which... Most of the dialogue in this film was pretty horrible. I will say that the dialogue was very straightforward and uh, very ordinary. And that's something that kind of bothered me even with the Kryptonians. 
sometimes they talked a little bit different. They, you know, kind of like a Yoda isms, you know, I will say this backwards. If I can, I will, you know, they, they, they will. Um, and <laughs> they, is so going as this show opener. <laughs> yeah. So the Kryptonians do that a little bit, but the thing is, for the majority of the time, they really just talk in plain English. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's with the thing? It was a bit so plain that it, it, I lost some respect for the Kryptonians that I had for them with the you know other other versions. Yeah, uh, it cool. was a bit. It was a bit like a cartoon, you know, the cartoon series, uh, the animated series of Superman, in that they wanted to play down the uh, complicated talk. So that you know, all audiences could understand what was being said. Uh, I don't know. I uh, apart from okay, uh, something else that I really enjoyed was this version of Clark Kent that he was more like the Tom Welling Clark Kent, but really grown up and really mature. Mm. That he was more interesting as a boy than the the young versions of Clark Kent that we knew from the Christopher Reeve film, and that. This man, Henry Cavill, really plays the part well, even if you're not satisfied by the story that he has to go through. I think his arc was very creative. It was uh, – see, the thing is a lot of people look to Superman as a model example of what a superhero film ought to be. So unlike the Marvel films that will take a lot of liberties because they know that people expect him to – infuse their stories with a lot of elaborate dialogue and witty, witty things and do things uh, because they're none of their heroes really represent the embodiment of a classic, perfect ideal superhero apart from per se, maybe captain America. Marvel's not going to try and have polished iconic um, Greek mythological type superheroes. Whereas with D- uh, DC, they, they've always acted like they are the parent company of comic books, so their characters have to seem more mature. And this film does that for me, where the things that Kal-El Clark go through, they seem very mature for and, and consistently parallel the kind of maturity that comes with Bruce Wayne of the Dark Knight Rises trilogy. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, I I was, hmm, uh, I didn't like. Okay, a few a few other things. If you, I'm, I'm sorry, we're talking so much meta here today. We don't we don't normally do this. Uh, getting back up to the surface again, people. I'll just say that one of the really obvious things that stood out to me was that this film is lacking a lot of the heart and soul of the Christopher Reeve and Superman Returns films. Thank you. Thank you. I agree so much. That that we should all know that it doesn't feel like, and I think it was a trade-off. If you want to make this more elaborate, this film more epic, then you're going to make it less humorous. So if you want this epic feel, it's got to be more dramatic, and maybe you depend on more sci-fi, maybe you show more of the military, because they're really serious people, and you know that. So you're not going to see them cutting up like in a Transformers movie. And, and so if you're going to make it that way, then as a whole, the film will be less humorous and there will be less irony and there will just be, it'll be more straight laced. So that was a trade off. If you wanted a serious, realistic Superman set in a alternate universe of our own, very realistic, then that was necessitated. And then another trade off was that if you were going to show 
off more sci-fi elements with with a lot more of the Kryptonian culture and the pending threat that the, that General Zod and Kryptonians have on the world, then you're going to take a lot from you're going to borrow a lot of uh, cliches, really, you know, standard practices of sci-fi films, and you're going to put them into this film, so that this film doesn't really feel quite like a traditional superhero action film. This film feels like a sci-fi with Superman who happens to be in it. And because it's got that epic quality and it's so heavily sci-fi, there's going to be a lot more aliens and a lot less humanity. There's going to be a lot less heart and soul because the majority of the time, characters like Perry White, who is the editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, Martha Kent, and Lois Lane, all these other side characters are just going to be standing back where there are their, you know, while they just look up to the stars and watch a crazy looking alien craft warship hover over their city about to nuke the, you know, nuke it and uh, kill us all. Well, see, I mean, this is the thing, too. I mean, like, I wanted to spend more time with these characters. Like, Perry, okay, even, <clears throat> even uh, the one that we spent the most time with, obviously, is Superman. I still didn't feel like, uh, I, I think I've already mentioned this in passing, I didn't feel like I got to know him. Like, like it was, I think it was a, a, a problem with the pacing of the film. Like, why didn't we spend any time with him and get, get inside his head? You know, and, and certainly, uh, I, I mentioned this in my review, where uh, the characters Perry White and Jenny Olsen, whose name we only know because I saw her name on IMDb as Jenny Olsen. Her name was never called in the film. And uh, so Perry White, Jenny Olsen, and then a character whose name we don't know. They're like about to die, and the music's like ma- trying to make us sad that they're about to die, and they're in the rubble. And I just don't care because we haven't spent any time with them. You know? I mean, like, what's going on? Yeah. So I, th- and I felt, I mean, like, I felt so emotionally disconnected from this film. And, and for me, that's really unusual. Mm. I didn't feel I didn't feel quite that much so except with certain characters like anything to do with the military in this film I felt like they did a fine job they executed it well but I just didn't find them interesting and though they had character arcs I didn't really want them in the movie so at the in the end I was kind of like well you know you used them rather well but they're ultimately so cliché and they're so they're so flat that I would have been the film would have been better served if we had to get more time with other characters with personality like Perry White and Lois. Agreed. Yes, thank you. Um, See, I'm, I, get, I, I'm getting you to agree with me. I thought we were going to be. Yeah, no, I, I have some mixed feelings about this film. I I still hi, would rate it highly because I really do think this is a movie that will grow on me more. Um, I don't know how what y'all people out there think, but. The first time you saw the Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner, 1978 film, it probably occurred to you that it was a very slowly paced film. You may have really liked it, but you might have also found it a bit disjointed. The, for, the first portion feels like a biblical sci-fi, while uh, Jarrell by Marlon Brando is waxing eloquently um, about space stuff. And then in the next portion, it looks like a coming-of-age story for a boy named Clark Kent in Smallville, and it's got a very, it's very folksy, it's very charming. It looks like a film of its of its time about the heartland of America, but that that portion is so different from the first portion 
And then the next portion is more different again. When you go to Metropolis, all of a sudden now it's a modern day uh, comedy slash action story. And then the comedic things involve a guy who wears bright colored, you know, caped suits and everybody wants to laugh at him while at the same time they're, they're in awe of him. And then there's all these funny, witty things that happen. And then ultimately, uh, near the end, a very serious tone when Lex Luthor is ready to kill a lot of people to get some real estate. And so all of a sudden, the story takes on this epic quality. And Superman has to rise to the occasion. And he's at the dependence of you know, one of uh, Lex Luthor's cronies. Uh, 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 another bumbler, a woman that's willing to take off the you know cr- uh, the kryptonite you know chain necklace on cl- Superman so he doesn't drown, and, and all of a sudden it, it, you're not exactly sure where the story is going except that it feels like an action film, and it feels like it's got some sci-fi tones, but it's mostly an action film, and then it gets really weird when Superman starts turning back time, and you realize this is a sci-fi. Yeah, it was a little weird. So, so when, even though you, the film grows on you, it, it has all these twists and turns that I think make it so artistic and so creative and so unusual. And the, uh, it's like it gets better and better with age. That film gets better and better. I agree. Now you flash forward to The Man of Steel. And I feel, though it doesn't feel like it's on par with the original film, I still... I know this film is going to grow on me because it's a contemporary Superman that feels like he belongs in our world. And I really liked his character. Um, I really like how they represented our world. And I like it that they took him seriously. Like they take Bruce Wayne and Batman seriously in Nolan's films and, and and not overly stylized like uh, what's his name? Tim Burton's Batman. Not like that either, which I was afraid of with Zack Snyder being the director of this film. I thought he would overstylize it. And so I found it a great relief when that didn't happen. Um, so, wow, there, this film is certainly something that I'm going to watch several more times this year. <laughs> I, have no, you, I have no intention of seeing this film ever again. Really? It. it I've seen some bad films this year, but this was way down on the list of films. I, I was so disappointed by this film. There, we're really running long here, so we need to wrap it up. But okay. there was more that I wanted to talk about in terms of what I didn't like. But you know what? I'll put, my, I'll put my – well, I don't, I don't think we can. It's getting long. But uh, I'll put my uh, review in the show notes. Uh, I'll drop it. In, I've already dropped it in the chat room for those listening live that want to read it. Um, I listed a couple of things that I liked and a lot of things that I didn't like in that review. Um, I mean, it, what it boils down to, one of the big things that I really didn't like is this film was really, in the end, all about the, the action for the sake of action and, and, you know, the invincible Kryptonians, you know, duking each other out. Why, why is that interesting? They're invincible and they're, they're beating each other up and they're killing people around them and, you know, the wanton destruction. I talked about that in my review as well. I just... I, you know, and Superman. Okay, okay. What what is the deal with Superman? He goes on this anger trip when he f- finds out that uh, when he when he flies in to save his mother, who's being beat up, which is understandable that he's on that he's angry about that. But he then he he basically pushes and flies with 
Zod into the city. He's out in cornfields, and he pushes him into the city, blows up a gas station, kills a whole bunch of people. I mean, this is just dumb. <laughs> so I agree, I agree with Jody in the chat room that uh, Richard Donner's film is brilliant. This one is not. <laughs> um, I think it makes sense that Clark at this point is much more reckless because this Clark isn't isn't as careful and thought through uh, as as the guy you know he he's he feels like his his attention is so absorbed into stopping zod and zod's you know military forces that he's actually somewhat um so focused in his his uh his his goals that he's actually not paying so much attention to what they're doing to the city in the process I think that this is like a, an immature Superman. Oh, I don't, I don't uh, inexperienced disagree. And I think that in that quality, you know how we talk about Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, and how Captain Kirk didn't feel right in the first film? He wasn't much like Kirk. Yeah, but it was obvious why. I mean, there's many problems I have with the 2009 Star Trek. It was obvious that he's growing into being Kirk. Well, and that's what I, I feel about – that's I, how I feel about Cal. I think you're right, but I just didn't care for the way – I don't know. There was something that bothered me a lot about it. <clears throat> so I think that with the sequel, they will intentionally address some of these qualities about Superman that feel inconsistent, that he, he was just trashing the, the city in the process of trying to save it you know, and things like that. Um, that it, it, and that actually exposes another layer of his own in, uh, weaknesses – that in this one he has some serious anger issues um consistently like he gets he gets upset about the smaller stuff that the Christopher Reeve film uh, Superman would not have gotten upset about uh so that means that this one is more exposed he feels more human in that regard and ultimately he has to make hmm, some very tough decisions and you can see that in the film he really didn't want to make them whereas with the Christopher Reeve Superman you get the feeling like he's already considered every imaginable possibility and he knows what he'll do in these situations. It's just that maybe he didn't want to turn back time. Well, you know, he wished that that hadn't had to happen, but oh, well, I guess I will now because it's, it's really important that I do. Uh, I know I can do it and I'll do it. Whereas this Cal man of steel Cal, he doesn't know what he'll do next. And so when he does it, he stops to process it. And he wonders, okay, how do I feel about that? That's kind of interesting to me. Mm. So, uh, so that's growing on me. Mm. All right. Well, what is your final analysis and rating for this film? And do you think people should see it? I think people should see it. I think that it's not appropriate for children. Like I, I don't know. I can't say I, I wished it were, but it's definitely a film worth seeing. And uh, it's, it's definitely got the production values that make the the effects and the scope of it all, all of this film looks so compelling that you should see it in theaters. If you have any desire to don't hesitate. And your rating, uh, four out of five stars. You have got to be kidding me. Oh my goodness. The, the, for comparison, Richard Donner's first film is a solid five. You give, Oh, you give it five. Wow. I was yes. thinking along the lines of four out of five for Richard Donner's film. Okay, mm. well, I'll just say you're a little bit out of your mind. Um, on the other hand, Mikey uh, Fissel, uh, on, uh, he's one of our regular readers, and he's left a comment that he thinks that in my two of five stars rating on my review and what I'm giving it here, he thinks that I'm allowing emotion to cloud my judgment. 
my disappointment to cloud my final star rating. Um, and and uh, I, I, you know, my response to that is, well, I mean, I felt the way I felt about it. What do you mean? All of my ratings are are um, are in response to my emotional state of being in regards to the film. I don't understand how that can cloud it when that's how my how I rate my films. <laughs> Um, and I can only give you I, I tell this to people all the time who have problem with what I say on Movie Bite and as we get more listeners it's becoming more common for people to say what are you talking about you don't know what you're talking about and uh, somebody in the chat room has been uh, uh, heckling me and that's fine I, I'm a big boy I can take it but um, it, it, people seem to think well you know you're you're being unfair well I can only tell you how I feel about the film and I did not enjoy this film and I don't recommend it on the other hand, if, if you think you would enjoy it, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't go see it. I'm just saying I wouldn't recommend it. You know, so two out of five stars because I did not enjoy it. And, and we've talked about this before, the, the two and a half mark on the scale, two and a half out of five being a neutral position. You need, you know, the 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 good the likes and yeah, the dislikes and accounts cancel each other. You're saying this is other. just below average. This is just yeah. below my two and a half grade. So, and, and you know, that's a... I feel like that's a little unusual for me. I'd have to go and look and, and make sure, but I think that I usually at least find enough about a film to like to get it over two and a half, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I would think that, um, and, and so you know, people, uh, one of the reasons that I would say that this film gets to the four-star rating for me is that I'm actually really looking forward to what they do with the, the coming sequels. I mean, it's inevitable now, and I think that they can definitely make a better film than this one. So considering that this was, yeah, we're, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that this is a two-hour-long commercial for the sequel, and it was a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I that's like, my problem like, with it. Is I, like I, wanted, I wanted it to be better storytelling. Yeah. Um, well, <coughs> someone well, in the chat what, room whose name I can't pronounce is saying, well, I need to back up my opinions more, and I did in my review, and I feel like... Uh, this show has been a little bit flabby and disjointed, more so than our other shows. I feel like many of our other shows are tighter shows, and I think maybe a I'm feeling that because I'm feeling a little sick and coughing <laughs> and stuff, and b maybe it you know maybe I'm having a hard time reining you in, Joe. You, you <laughs> yeah, my enthusiasm. I'm, I'm, kidding. I'm sorry, people. I'm, I'm kidding. Thought, I'm kidding. I have thought the whole extra mile, the green mile, and every other mile about this series because I I'm really emotionally invested in Superman's character. Yeah. Yeah, I care about them. Well, like I said, I wanted to like it, and I just couldn't. So that's how I feel. A two out of five. And you give it four out of five, which I feel is way, way, way generous. So. <laughs> well. Shall we talk? Oh, oh, real quick. Real, we just have to mention this. Um, uh-huh. we, 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 this was in the news, and you said, well, hey, let's, let's move it down below after our review. Um, and that is this link, uh, which I will go ahead and drop in the chat room and put it in the show notes. Man of Steel Universe will reboot Batman. How do you feel about that, Joe? What we're talking about here is um, Christopher Nolan's Batman universe is, and, and there's been lots of talk of Justice League and, and and Man of Steel and becoming part of a larger universe the way Marvel is doing with with the Avengers and that type of thing. And um, so the, the the news here is that uh, the Man of Steel universe will be rebooting Batman, that it will not be Christopher Nolan's Batman, it'll be a different Batman, they're going to probably do new Batman movies, I would guess, in order to establish this new Batman. And this is not an uncommon thing to do in the comic book world. I mean, we're seeing it, as much as I hate it, we're seeing it with Spider-Man. Um, how do you? What do you think about this, Joe? I, I'm looking forward to it, and I'll tell you why. Um, when The Dark Knight Rises finished, I felt like they were finishing... Nolan's 
Gotham that they were saying Bruce Wayne really has retired. It, get over it, people. We're sorry if you don't like it, but that's the way it is. And everybody could say, ah, no, no, your Batman goes on forever. No, come on. Seriously, this Bruce Wayne has just retired. This is his arc. This is how he ends with the problems that were set up for him in Batman Begins. This is the complete arc. We're sorry we don't get a Penguin, a Riddler, and other you know, interesting story characters, but this is it. And what they did is they set it up so that they introduced a a quasi-alternate version of Robin coming in to fill Batman's shoes. Yeah, and I, this is gonna say, I thought that was the perfect setup for him to be part of Justice League. I mean, it doesn't have to be exactly like the comic books, right? So I have mixed feelings about it because I agree with you that no one's Batman universe feels like it's wrapped up. But at the same time, why reboot it? When you got this great mythos already in place, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of well, mixed about it. Well, what I think is that because Nolan would be very involved in this um, uh, pair film, you know, with Batman and Superman in one film or ongoing series. Yeah. I think that Nolan's influence will see to it that the Batman, whether he is acted out by someone else entirely or by, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt who takes on the mental of Batman or another guy that this version is going to pay a lot of homage to the Batman Begins Batman. Therefore, why not just let it be in that universe? Why, why, why not let Joseph Gordon-Levitt be, you know, I mean, he'd be being Batman. Uh, because he's short. Um, <laughs> because his last name is Robin. He's not Bruce Wayne. <coughs> or no, his first name is Robin. Whatever. Yeah. He, he, he's I, not Bruce Wayne. Okay. That's why. All right. We're done here. We've 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 talked that. We're we're almost two hours, man. Well, I guess we're an hour and forty five minutes. Well, this was a longer movie. It was, and you know, we had a lot to talk about since we didn't really and agree. I still in our feel like I didn't finish it all. Me, me too. In fact, uh, like this movie. Yeah, <laughs> the movie didn't finish everything. <laughs> I, I had a lot more I wanted to talk about about how much I didn't like it, but. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but I don't know if my voice is going to hold out. I don't know if you can tell it's getting worse. You need more sleep. You'll feel better about this movie when you're not sick. But I wasn't sick when I saw the movie. So I got sick over the weekend and I saw the movie la- before I got sick over the weekend. So anyway, next week we're going to be talking about Monsters University. Are you still with us next week, Joe? Yes. Okay. I can't I don't I, I'm trying not to think of, about you leaving the show. Oh, come on. Don't think of it as me leaving. You're uh, I'm sorry. I, I can't think of anything positive to say. <laughs> Well, only that. Have we announced yet who's going to be your replacement? Have no, we, we haven't. Can we do that now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times, and uh, I I get along well with him. I've with the times I've talked to him, and so I think it's going to be good. And he's well knowledgeable and opinionated about the films. Uh, he has his own film score podcast that he does, uh, the Sounds and Sights of Cinema, where he highlights film score and music. It's a really good podcast. You should listen to it. But it's Clark Douglas. He will be uh, taking the place of Joe on the Movie Bite podcast after, starting in the month of July. And, uh, and, and Joe, you'll be back on anytime that Clark can't be on. And sometimes we may even have you on as a guest. Yeah, but you, sure. as we've already mentioned in a couple of episodes ago, you want to talk about the Hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about those films. Yeah. So you, you're, you've moved on to a place in your life where it's just not feasible for you to be on the show as much anymore. So no, but I'm still going to be a part of Movie Bite. Come on, you know, you, you talk like I'm. Well, I said know, show. I said the show. Into- I didn't say the site, and I didn't say you know you, you're going to be joining the guys more regularly on Movieology, which yes. is kind of stalled right now. 
Yeah, Movieology has been stalled, our other podcast, but it's a, it's, I guess, where I feel like I belong because I like to get into the meta so much. And that's what Movieology is more about. Yeah. Movie Byte is, is more interested in the entertainment value. And we try to talk about all things that we think would be relevant and interesting, but we really want Movie Byte to be more in keeping with you, TJ, and what you like to discuss. And it, it seems to be more yeah. about the filmmaking rather than the philosophy of the story and in you know the character analysis and psychoanalysis and stuff like that that I'm into. And I don't mind in analyzing a movie like that. I just don't know if I could do it every single week. <sighs> I just know that whenever I'm movie. on the movieology show, they never tell me that I overanalyze anything. <laughs> so All right. Well next week we're gonna be talking about Monsters University and you'll still be with us, Joe, and so we'll all still be happy. Uh, Thank you, sir. I'm looking forward to it very much. It's a part of my childhood. All right. So if people want to keep up with you on Twitter, they have a limited amount of time where we can still announce this as as the co-host. But if they want to keep up with you on Twitter or the web or anywhere else, where can they do that? at? Sure. Um, You can find me at on Twitter. I'm Joe. uh, What am I? I am Joseph Darnell on Twitter and on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I had to think about that. (laughs) And then on Facebook. I go by Kalel. No, no. <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> what is, what is um, happening? Is this the show? <laughs> I guess it is. Uh, I'm Joseph Darnell on Facebook as well. And I have to think about this because I actually, my site is Joe Darnell. And that's what always trips me up because most people call me Joe. I wanted to make sure that was easier for people. So my site, Jiving Jackalope, and I don't, I don't get to write on it very much right now because I'm studying code development and HTML and CSS in my spare time. But I, I will continue driving jackalope.net as soon as I can. I'm also working on another website, which um, I don't know. Maybe I'll have a reason to talk about on movieology, um, which has to do with cigars. I'm working for a cigar company now. And uh, nice. I'm doing a lot with it, man. I'm really getting used to this. I'm getting cool. accustomed to it. And I really enjoy it. So, yeah, you'll, you'll, <laughs> you know, you'll find more of me over at movieology, and I'll probably be smoking sometimes. <laughs> And you'll be around. You'll you'll be on the show from time to time. The movie the our, our, the movie bite podcast. You'll be on the show from time to time still, even though you won't be the official co host anymore. That is so, right. All right. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that uh, at uh, twitter dot com slash tj draper pro and click on the follow link. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook if you want to subscribe to my updates there. If you're more of a Facebook kind of person, um, I am at facebook dot com slash tj draper. And uh, if you want to keep up with the things that I write about and talk about uh, throughout the week, you can do that at moviebyte.com. You can find the show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 48. If you don't happen to have a podcatcher that will pull in those show notes, uh, then that's where you can find the show notes at. And you know what? If you've enjoyed the show over these last 48 episodes, I would encourage you to give us uh, a rating in iTunes. A uh, five-star rating would be good. We accept four stars. If you want to give us a less rating than that, please don't do that. <laughs> but we would appreciate your rating and your review in iTunes. Just look up Movie Byte in iTunes and leave a rating and a review. And with that, I think that wraps us up. We are out of here, and we'll talk to you next week. Next week.